Yeah. I can't hear. <laughs> I have I allergies. I just push record when you, uh... <laughs> you do that to me all the time. Yeah. Well, I don't know you're going to yell. <laughs> you never tell when you... you're going to shout something. <laughs> We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Okay. Okay. Hi, Mom. Hi, Anna. Is it time for another podcast? It's time for another episode of Freudian Sips. All right. All right. So, we have a special drink today. Let's start off with that. Okay. Because it's fitting for the theme of this week's episode. I've been trying to get Anna to tell me all day <laughs> what the drink is, but I had to wait. I won't so tell you. I'm learning it just in you. this moment. So It's really easy to make if you would like to pause and go make your own and then come back and sip it with us while we soothe words into your ears and your ear holes. So it's basically just two parts grapefruit juice to one part vodka. So the recipe I saw calls for three ounces grapefruit juice, one and a half ounce vodka, and then you line the rim with salt. That part's very important because that's what makes it a salty dog. Oh, I get it. We are drinking a salty Salty dog dog. cocktail today. Our very first themed drink. I think that should be a thing now. A thing that we do, a themed drink. Yeah. Although I will miss the boxed wine. We can still listen. (laughs) I think boxed wine is always thematic. (laughs) Okay. So, Mom, why are we drinking a salty dog cocktail this week? Because today we're talking about... I can't remember Ivan. I couldn't, couldn't remember his first name. For oh, a and you need to call Ivan? him by his first name. So I do. Need. That's why I had to recall it. Ivan Pavlov. You are. And he is well known in and outside of psychology circles. Yes. Because of his experimentation with dogs. Yes. Therefore, salty dog. And we will talk about why the dogs are salty a little later. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we were originally just going to talk about. <laughs> the experiment itself and like classical conditioning itself which is what he found out with the experiment Mm -hmm. but ivan pavlov is a crazy mofo and we need to talk about him a little bit before we dive into the conditioning itself it's Mm -hmm. he was kind of a mad scientist character wasn't he that's the way i'm gonna think about him from now on after doing all the reading that we did to prepare for this I don't know about you, but I was reading it really late at night, and I didn't... <laughs> that wasn't a good choice for I know, me to do I that. Know. I told you earlier that I didn't sleep very much last night because <laughs> I read, and I also, because of the wonders of the internet, you know, I was looking at pictures and images and things. You went down and, a wiki hole? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> it was a bad, bad place to be. So, yeah. It's not all good when you learn who Ivan was. No. Ivan, buddy. He made a lot of good contributions to the he, field. He but... needed a good therapist. Yes. Although you and I were talking about that in his day, which was quite a long time ago, 
you know, things were a bit different. A bit different. Yeah, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we'll let's go back to the beginning. Back to the beginning of Ivan. Yes. So Ivan Pavlov was born in 1849. He was the eldest of 11. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. He was bo- <laughs> You can tell I was doing this late at night because I have in my notes he was born in Russian. <laughs> I guess. Sure. Yeah. So he was born in Russia. His mother was a homemaker. His father was an Orthodox priest. And Ivan was very enthusiastic about helping around the house and doing chores. He really was focused on taking care of his siblings because he was the eldest one. So he was really into being active and doing all that stuff. He could read by the age of seven. Which gives me a bit of pause because when can kids usually read? Yeah, usually it's before, before that, that, right? Yeah. He and he shouldn't compare himself to Freud at any time. <laughs> no, <laughs> I like read that and I was like, oh wow! I just like kind of skimmed past it and then I went, wait a minute! I read back and I said, because when can I read? Way before that. I, I mean, want to say most kids can read nowadays by the time they go into kindergarten. Well, yeah, I was going to say you start to learn to decode words and stuff even in preschool and before right. that now. Yeah. So like five, six. But that, that's, you know, back in the day. Maybe they meant he was a fluent reader by seven. He well, was reading chapter books by seven. <laughs> no, because quite frankly, back then, I mean, we're talking, you know, the 1800s. So to read by seven was pretty, I I would say, accomplished. Yeah, he was advanced. Okay, well, Fred was speaking seven languages, so. <laughs> Not by the time he was seven. Maybe, you don't know. Get on your game, Ivan. <laughs> Okay. But the sad thing was that around that time he Humpty Dumpty took a big fall. He fell off a really tall wall onto like pavement and he was injured pretty badly and he couldn't start school until he was 11. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't yeah. read that part. Wow, yeah. you found something I didn't find. Yeah. yeah. That's man. awful. I know. That's dramatic. I know. That may be something that plays into everything else. Oh no, he has a <laughs> bit of a pathology. We should maybe have to evaluate that oh later. Gosh. But please we'll go on. into it. Yes. Okay, so even in childhood, he was really curious. He was really energetic. He had what he called the instinct for research. So he was very into learning and very into discovering things. He went into a theological seminary when he went into higher education, but then he was inspired by a literary critic and a science advocate. Oh, man, a Russian name. Okay. Use your Russian accent, please. The I. Bizarev. <laughs> and also the Russian father of physiology, who was I am Sekhanov. Thank you. Da. <laughs> <laughs> so he was inspired by these people to go into physiology. That's where his uh, research was. Kind of like Freud, he started with a more general medical, biological perspective, and then he moved on to what we will discover he eventually found his calling with. Mm -hmm. So he landed in the uh, physiological department of the Veterinary Institute. He dicked around Germany for a while to study digestion in dogs. He, oh man, okay, okay, guys. (laughs) Wait, can I go back for a second? Because I think I don't want you to go where you're going. Thank you, yeah, let's let's derail I'm deflecting big time. That I think it's significant that he was in a theological seminary and that that basically that's what his father would have expected of him Mm -hmm. to follow in his footsteps as a priest. Um, right. An Orthodox priest. And, and that his father was very disappointed in him when he left that. But that from what I read, Pavlov struggled with 
the idea of God, of religion, yeah. really pretty much his whole life. Yeah, I got he the feeling that it. he really did. He went into it because someone else expected that. Right. And then once he found a thing that felt more like his calling, he searched for right. that. Right. He would be one of those scientists who would see like religion and science kind of at odds. Right. Some scientists don't. Some scientists can combine Many the two. Many scientists don't. Right. Like Albert Einstein has that famous quote that says like without, I'm going to get it backwards, but like without science, religion is blind and without religion, science, one mm-hmm. of them is blind. I don't know what the other Some, one is. Somebody's blind in the equation. Someone's blind. Yeah. But the idea is that they work together, right. that you can't have one without the other. And, and you're right, a lot of scientists believe that. But I would think that from what I read, Pavlov was not, not the at all. Way. No, right. he didn't didn't maybe even believe in God in his life. So he struggled with, with that idea, especially with his father. And I think from what I read, he just wasn't really a person who was very personable with anybody. He was very outspoken politically. I was just thinking how he wasn't very social with dogs either. <laughs> oh, no. All right. So no, we're going to go. I don't want to go there. <laughs> Guys, if you, this is a trigger warning. Yeah, this if is a trigger warning. If you have struggles with, if you get really triggered by animal. Animal cruelty. Animal cruelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's what it is. That's what it is. This is your trigger warning to maybe turn us down right now. Uh, because he started his research he was very into the digestion, figuring out how dogs digested things. And one of the things he actually developed first was something called a Pavlov pouch, which isn't a fancy purse. It's, it's a lot more awful than that. So he uh, perfected a technique of maintaining uh, ex- an external stomach on a dog, I yeah. think. Yeah. I don't know. I was cringing so hard that I couldn't really read the article at this point. So he basically found out how to make that work. There's just really upsetting things about dogs here. Right, right. He was actually a very accomplished surgeon. Did you yeah. read that? And so he pra- he practiced his <laughs> his talent of surgery on dogs in ways that were really quite inhumane. Mm-hmm. You know, we when we hear about we Pavlov's have taken a shot. I don't. I know. <laughs> when we talk about Pavlov's dogs, um, oh, you brought. I brought the shots. You you know, in textbooks, even when you're little kids, they, they talk, you know, you get those little whiffs of interspersed into your learning as even a child about Pavlov's right, dogs. Right, like, I, mean, I remember it's, learning it's about it in grade school. It's called, like, Pavlovian conditioning. Right, right. I mean, so. And, and you see the pictures of, you know, him standing there and little dogs around and, and it's kind of like a, a cartoonish, pleasant vision of playing with dogs. And that was not at all what was going no, on with no, Pavlov. No, 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 no. No. Okay, we got these little shots that are called... I'm not sure how that's going to go with our... Whipped chocolate. It's not. We're going to stomach it. But we have to do this in honor of of dogs everywhere that we... There's little foil caps that you need to take off. We love dogs. How are you supposed to drink? So these little cups, the shots glasses are like divided into two parts. like aim your mouth on the... So you get both sides at the same time? Yeah. Got to aim your mouth. Wow. Yeah, you need it's to do this first thing. before you it's start other a, I know kinds I was going to say. Okay. Okay. Clink. Can't Clink. Reach I can't table. reach you. Clink. Woo! Okay. Mm, that's so really good, chocolatey. though. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> that was a me laugh. You did that <laughs> at the end. <laughs> okay. Oh, now I have to take a drink of this grapefruit thing. No, just wait a second. Okay. <laughs> just let it sit. Yeah. Take this advice from your mother. 
Okay. Sometimes I'm you just have to, to give a little pause. Enjoy the taste. That- <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So we're going to try to communicate this without going too graphic because yeah, we're not going to get really, into this a yeah, lot. It is really very sad. There's it's a lot. There's sad. just a lot of I have in my notes suffered. like three things. There's just really upsetting things about dogs. Just really, it keeps having more capital letters when I type it. Just really upsetting things about dogs throughout. But eventually, it kind of turned out okay, <laughs> and he did contribute a lot to what we know about you know human behavior. So that's great. That's great. It's just, it would not fly now. Like, Peter would be knocking on his door. Right. We talked a lot in, um, well, I shouldn't say a lot. We talked <laughs> some. As much as we talked. In, talk. in um, our master's classes about ethics yeah. and about the idea of human experimentation. But I would, I would also kind of generalize that to this as well. That throughout our history in psychology, mm-hmm. um, there have been some experimentation situations that were unethical. Right. And I would say that he's his false into that category. So grapefruit's not a good pairing <laughs> Chaser with for with chocolate. chocolate shot. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he uh he did his thing with the Pavlov pouch. Really good name for a really bad thing. And then he came back to Russia. He went to St. Petersburg. He got into the Institute of Experimental Medicine. He walked in like he owned the place, basically. He, like, walked in, immediately was the director, and did really good. Like, under his direction for the next couple decades, it became one of the leading physiological research centers in the world. He was a very good director, and he was a very good researcher. I mean, he, he did a lot for the field. And this is where the experiment happened. So this is the experiment that would eventually lead to his lifelong work. And because of this, they eventually housed a full-scale kennel for these experiments in the Institute of Experimental Medicine, which turned out good for the dogs because usually the dogs would not survive the experiment process. But because they kind of shifted their focus to this whole saliva thing, they kept the dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I do not want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so he was nominated for a Nobel Prize four years in a row. He finally got one in 1904. I'm talking faster because Ivan, buddy, I really don't want to talk about you anymore. Okay. In recognition of his work on the physiology... F- physiology. <laughs> Physi- <laughs> physiology. Physiology. <laughs> oh, digestion. <laughs> physiology? My tongue's all love for Physiological. Physiology. I got it. Got it in one. <laughs> Usually I'm the one that does that. <laughs> the physiology of digestion. There, you just did it like that. Yeah, first try. Bam. First try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the nomination says, like, through which knowledge on vital aspects of the subject has been transformed and enlarged. Weird way to say that. Whatever, Nobel. That's cool. He got a Nobel Prize for all his work in physiology. Mm-hmm. He studied conditioning until his death. Like, right up until eight days before his death, he was leading experiments on dogs and interpreting behavior of mental patients. Eight days before his death. Wow. And then he died of double pneumonia. Wow. So, you know, eight days before he was already, he already had pneumonia. Right. So with he was just up there like... And he was like 86 years old when he, he died. He was 86, uh-huh. He and was a he, tough bird. He was. Yeah, he had a lot. He had a lot in him. It took two pneumonias to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I 
two whole pneumonias. You know you're tough when it takes two. He had one of his students sit by his bedside (laughs) to record the subjective circumstances of a terminally ill person. Can you imagine being that student and you come in and you're like, I'm so excited. This is my first day. I'm study dogs. I'm so excited. And then you go in and they're like, yo, the boss wants to see you. And you're like, why won't you see me? I knew, sure. I need to put my keys in my locker. And they're like, no. <laughs> they go, no, the, no Mr. Don't even go to your locker, dude. <laughs> no, Mr. Pavlov wants to see you immediately. <laughs> like, okay, I'll shake my clipboard in there. And then he goes in and he's like, son, son, sit down. <laughs> sit down by my bedside. By my deathbed. By my deathbed. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, I have double pneumonia. You should be speaking in a Russian accent for him because he was Russian. Come on, you got it in you. Have double pneumonia. There, that's it. Have double pneumonia, sit sit by bedside. Are you sure, Mr. (laughs) Bravo? I'm not sure where that guy's from. You don't have to do a Russian accent for the student because he has his own stuff going on. (laughs) He's a. He's a poor exchange. I was going to say from America. He's got to be from America to speak like that. So, yeah, I don't know how long that student lasted. <laughs> I, I would not have kept going in that program <laughs> if one of my bosses asked me to sit by his bedside. At least he's someone who's getting paid. I wonder what was, I wonder what he recorded. I mean, I wonder, like, did he want him to record, like, the things he said or the things he did or physically what was happening? I don't know. It, it was probably pretty creepy any way you look at it. Probably lots of coughing. Oh, this one says 87. Hmm. Hmm. You told everyone a different age. <laughs> I'm 84. Um, I'm only... I'm, <laughs> don't I look 86? I'm really 87. I'm 79. <laughs> I'm 97. <laughs> like, I, mean, like, I guess we could do the uh, math. That's, that's old Ivan. He does weird crap to dogs. And <laughs> he lies about his age. He said he was 140 the other day. We just leave him alone. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. I feel like this is very disjointed because I really want to put something in here about politics. <laughs> and you know I have not had enough shots to talk about politics. What do you want to say about politics? Um, that <laughs> in the middle of all of that he was living through, I mean, we look at it just like a snapshot that he was in this place and then he was in this place. But I mean, he lived through horrible, horrible times. He really did. He uh, he wrote a personal letter to Stalin. Uh-huh. It was basically that's what, like... That's, that's what I wanted to... Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that for a sec. Yeah. He, you know, everybody's starving to death, basically. Mm-hmm. Everybody's, you know, Lenin comes into power and he's like telling everybody that communism is not going to work and he's very... Writing letters, that's the thing he did, was he would write these letters to these people, you know, these Hello, I'm, I people have kill love, everyone. I am 97. I do not yeah. like what you do. Today I'm 97. I'm going to go play with dog. The dogs don't like me because I'm bad with dogs. Dogs bite me whenever I come in, I go write letter. And in one of the books, one of the passages I read, like a response from one of the political people, because they, because he was asking to get out, 
Mm. you know and and wanted to like go to either Europe or America to do further experimentation when the communism was big and he was like this is not gonna work and I wish I could do a Russian accent because it's much more fun then not going to work thank you okay you 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 do the Russian accent for what he says not going to work no I want to go to America want to go to America okay (laughs) (laughs) and basically they were like well we're not gonna let go of one of our big names because they wanted yeah I mean yeah like from the time he got into the director position, he was a famous researcher, basically. Right. I mean, he made a name for himself very quickly. Right. So they didn't let him go. And at one point, I thought it was a little ironic and perhaps poetic justice that at one point in time, in one of the things I read, that several of his researchers starved to death because in that time when they couldn't get enough food and oh my God. they're in this, and people that actually worked with them were starving to death, and he and his family were starving, and he wrote one of his letters and were basically basically like please let me leave well i don't think he said please because he wasn't that kind of let guy. me live now there thank you <laughs> I've been because i'm starving to not death. say please if i starve to death i won't be able to do my work say that starve to death not to work <laughs> <laughs> so basically they sent him more stuff you know food and stuff to keep him going but in russia we squeeze dogs until spit comes out <laughs> That was just inappropriate. <laughs> In Russia, dogs spit on you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just for that, I'm going to add a gross note. Ah! You you earned a no! gross note. No, the, the listeners didn't. Don't punish them. Okay, I won't. No, okay, what are you going to say? I'm curious now. What are you going to say? I was going to say that I wish I remember the date. They actually, because of some of their experimentation, they learned that using the saliva of dogs in people to treat, oh, I wish I remembered what it was. Can you not find it in your paper notes? I'm looking looking in my paper notes and I will eventually find it. (laughs) But it's like... You're on a computer, you just control F, find. I forgot my computer. But you remember to print off notes? I'm I on to you. I left it at home. I'm on to your game. I'm old. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But they like were selling. Basically, they, they were making a huge profit. And, and that profit was actually supporting their research for a while. That they were selling dog saliva to deal with something. Um, maybe something digestive problems in people or something. I can't remember. But they actually were making profit from selling huh. dog saliva. And they had like dog saliva work i don't know how to put that without being really gross factories <laughs> oh no i know it's just gross it's no. gross stuff but that's why i was saying okay i'm gonna bring all that nonsense back into one little pile and I say used a bad russian accent yes i have to think about dog saliva factories yeah. at one point in his life he was literally starving to death which seems appropriate because yeah. he would starve those dogs. He'd yeah. starve them to get their saliva. So I think it was kind of fair. That you heard it here, folks. Dogs caused communism to get back at <laughs> Ivan Pavlov. Cause and effect, baby. It was Cause their idea. It was their idea. <laughs> it all makes sense now. I think that's, Crack to the code. you know, where are we with, with Pavlov? Can we stop talking about him? We certainly can. I want to talk about the experiment. Please do, because we are under a misunderstanding. Everyone in the world, perhaps. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. So, like <laughs> that's I said. favorite part. <laughs> like I said. Oh, okay. We're going to take another shot. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it together? Well, okay. Oh, oh Okay. Pause while we open our shots. These are very convenient, but they're kind of wasteful for the environment. I apologize, environment. 
because they have like a little top you yeah. got to peel off. Sorry, then, Mother Nature. But I think you should keep these little cool shot glasses. What do you do with these split shot glasses? You put something splits in there. Clink. Clink. Whoa. Baby. Up in here. It's very good. So it's vodka. The shot is? Uh-huh. What's the chocolate? Is it like chocolate milk, probably. Chocolate cream liqueur. Whoa. Mm-hmm. They're delightful. No offense, but the salty dog is not it's really not doing good. it for me. Yeah, don't. Uh, I know I said to make one earlier. If, if you, you haven't if you already. Didn't, don't. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, unless you like super like. I'm not a big fan of grape juice. Yeah. Grape juice. Grapefruit juice. <laughs> grape juice you are. I a am a big fan of, of grape juice. <laughs> Especially in a box that has been fermented. <laughs> old grape juice in a box or a bottle. That's your favorite. Very old. No, this is not great. It's really it's not bi- bad. It's bitter. It's kind of bitter. Grapefruit juice is good for you, though. It's got vitamin C and stuff. Yeah, that's what you said about your kale salad that you ate earlier, and you only finished half of that. So, Whose idea was it to eat kale? <laughs> it's like know. growing a little, little things growing along the, the waiter, road. Let's so, eat those. So I'm going to, to borrow a McElroy phrase, part the kimono for a second. <laughs> <laughs> to give the listeners an insight into our podcast, our Friday uh, routine, our Friday is when we record it, and our Friday routine is to go to lunch, talk for a little while, sometimes about the podcast, usually not, and um, then come record the podcast in my house, and the waiter like beer pressured mom into getting a kale salad. Because <laughs> I didn't want to admit... Mom- Please don't give me any freaking kale. She goes, I want the Caesar salad. And he looks at her and he goes, oh, were you looking at the kale Caesar salad on the menu? And she got this look of horror (laughs) on her face. And and in that moment, in that split second, I read an entire story in her eyes. And that story said, I really, really don't want to eat kale. But he thinks I was doing that. And I don't know how to say no to this nice young man. So I'm going to get a kale salad. (laughs) This is my life now. And then she got a kale salad. It was pretty good. It was pretty it good. It was pretty good. It was pretty good, but it's it not what you wanted. If God intended us to eat kale, well, I don't know the, how the he rest did. of that goes. What? <laughs> we would have been bored with it in our mouths? We would have place? had it at the grocery store a long time ago, <laughs> and we haven't. That kale is relatively new to the grocery store. <laughs> okay. What were we talking about again? The what experiment. Was? Oh, yeah. Okay, we need to talk about the experiment. So, our old buddy Ivan was studying animals' gastric systems, like I said, digestion. So, in this particular experiment, he was studying the saliva rates of dogs. <sighs> okay, he surgically implanted a device in their cheek, which I thought was just a little like tattoo inside the cheek. That's not what it was. It was like hanging off the cheek of the dog to to measure saliva rates, and I think he was trying to measure how much they salivated when they got the the treat but what he found oh, oh so first of all he had dogs in harnesses <laughs> this is dumb he had them in harnesses to like restrain them in front of the food bowl um and he kept them in like an isolated environment with like an empty bowl in front of them and this device in their cheek and what he found was that when the dog would hear the researcher open the door the saliva would start and so <laughs> this is great. He called it a psychic secretion. Oh, that's a good term. <laughs> that's a horrible phrase. <laughs> 
psychic secretion. Not a good enough reason to use the word secretion. No, nobody should ever use that <laughs> Don't word. Don't use that word. But it's very, I mean, like, basically he was like, how do they know? How did they know? And this is weird because the way the experiment is, it honestly sounded like he was setting out to discover this. I can't think of another reason, probably because Pavlovian conditioning is so beaten into our heads. I can't think of another thing he would be trying to study except for this. Right. Like it was built to figure this out. But it wasn't at all what he had planned to study. No, no. So it wasn't built for this. He was trying to gauge the rate the dog salivated throughout the experiments. I I don't know if they were going to give them different types of food. I honestly didn't look that much into the experiments themselves. But (laughs) he was basically like... Hold the presses. I need to devote my entire life to this thing. I mean, he spent the rest of his days experimenting on saliva, specifically dog saliva. That is the most specific thesis I've ever heard. Very, yes, I agree. So this is where the, uh, this is where Bellgate comes into play. I like it. I like it. This is where Bellgate, you tell the, the folks about Bellgate? Yes. Okay. You know that we have all repeatedly throughout our education, we have heard this story about how, you know, the dogs were hearing a bell and when they would hear the bell, they would salivate because they knew they were going to be fed. And we'll talk about all that in just a minute. I even have this little diagram of like what the conditioning looks like and it's a bell in it. Mm-hmm. So it's consistently a bell that's that's in the narrative. And what I read was it's basically a mistranslation. Because remember, the stuff that he would have written or have been written about him would have been written in Russian. Sure. I assume. I, Russian. I, <laughs> I don't think duh. it's. Da. Da. And so. Hey, any Russian listeners? I'm sorry. We're please so don't. sorry. Please don't send Please don't stop emails. listening to us. Um, and we really like your accents we when you do We love your accents. Um, but there was actually never a bell. Ever, ever, ever a bell. He didn't use a bell. <laughs> So he's very passionate about the lack of a bell. I'm upset about this because I think it was like fourth grade when I learned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're consistently told. And I mean, we're repeatedly like we reference it in society. Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm a little annoyed. I was originally going to call this episode like a dog with a bell, but that's a misnomer. Yeah, exactly. So he did use he used a metronome, which those of you who are music people know, tick, 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 right? Um, and he also did use a buzzer, and he used, unfortunately, electric shock at one point. Um, but there was never a bell. Never, ever, ever. So what I understand from what I read was that it was literally just a mistranslation of the original language into English or whatever whatever language it was originally translated into. Probably English. Ancient Greek. <laughs> Aramaic or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> that they misinterpreted what the word was into bell. Yeah. Which yeah. is and amazing. And then it's stuck. Yeah. I mean, it's super stuck. Right. And what I read was basically that the bell would not have been precise enough, et cetera, et cetera. So, so no bell. So take the bell out of your mind. I heard buzzer more frequently than I heard bell in, in this specific instance of research mm-hmm. on classical mm-hmm. conditioning. I heard buzzer. Well, and I don't know if it's because... Because a buzzer can be more sustained. Buzz- Oh, see, I was thinking the opposite. A oh. bell would go bing, you know, like oh, ding, no. dong. That's what a bell says, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you ding, ring a bell, ding, dong, dong ding, dong. That's yeah, a bell. No, a buzzer like bzzz and then. Or bzz. That's a buzz. <laughs> That's another buzzer sound. Hello, welcome to our podcast where we do different buzzer sounds. Bzzz. <laughs> 
If I was a buzzer, I would just get right to the point. <laughs> Tag yourself. What kind of buzzer are you? <laughs> take our take our BuzzFeed quiz. <laughs> About what kind of buzzer you are. <laughs> what were we? We are being very silly about a very serious conversation. This is really bells. We have to laugh because so much of this is kind of sad. So sometimes you have to have a sense of humor to get through it. Don't don't look up Pavlov. Don't Don't if you like dogs. Look up the images instead of looking up Pavlov. Go hug a dog in your life. That's right. You know what? (laughs) That's exactly right. That's a public service that you just did right there. Don't don't look up Pavlov. Just listen to our podcast. We'll tell you all you need to know, and then go hug a dog. Hug your dogs. That's it. Hug them. Love them. Don't make them salivate without feeding them. Give them the food that they deserve. You'd give them the treat. I don't think so. Yes. Not always. No. In the last phase of the... Oh, in the last. In the very final. Yeah, but you starve to get there. Never mind. Let's move on. Okay. Let's let's not dwell in the dark past. Let's talk about what classical conditioning actually is. Let's talk about what came out of it. Yes. Yeah. The thing we still use. I mean... What? Because I was going to ask... What does this have to do with psychology? If Freud was here, that's probably what he would ask. And since this is Freudian sips, we should in his honor. You have to be Freud. (laughs) I can't talk like that, though. You have to do that. I can't do a German accent. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do accents at all, so don't. It skips a generation. It's like that, uh, oh my gosh, what is that movie? What was Brad Pitt? You're wiggling your fingers. Does that help you think? Yeah. Inglorious Bastards. Can you say that? (laughs) I can. You can't. You think P is a bad word? Sometimes it is. Bastards. No, when uh, have you ever seen that movie? You probably haven't. It's kind of violent. I saw parts of it, and everybody was dying it's, very brutally. Yeah, so I stopped. You're watching like, no, it. thank you. I was you. like, bloody, there's a part bloody. where they're trying to infiltrate this party. <laughs> Brad Pitt was in it though, wasn't he? Yes, nah, I saw that. And he was trying to be an Italian diplomat, and he's like, Bongiorno, in his really <laughs> southern accent. <laughs> It's kind of how it feels whenever I try to do even this hint of German accent. It's like, buongiorno, I'm a German. <laughs> Pretty sure that's okay. <laughs> it's racist to Germans. Okay. I'm offended as what? a German ginger. To answer, to answer your question about what this has to do, yes, we still use the concepts. So we call this classical conditioning or Pavlovian conditioning. It basically means when you associate a stimulus with a response and then that just the the presence of that stimulus gets trained to bring about the response. So I'm having a hard time coming up with real world examples. No, me too. Well, I mean, in a, in a if we're talking about trauma, which we often do, because I think you and I both deal with a lot of people who have gone through trauma. This is like when you've gone through trauma and when you're... Uh, if you've been in a domestic abuse situation mm-hmm. and maybe someone has been violent toward you or you've experienced violence around you mm-hmm. that like when a certain thing happens, we call it a trigger. Right. So basically, basically triggers are classical conditioning. Exactly. Where if you, if you experience a trigger, you will immediately have that flinch response or that mm-hmm. fight or flight response. Right. Because, because in your brain, you're going, oh, this thing has happened, which means this thing is also going to happen. And this thing is something I need to run away from or fight against and so so when you experience that trigger that's basically neutral that doesn't actually have a meaning in itself right that you kind of go on the defensive right 
I have this with uh, with clearing throats. I don't know mm-hmm. if we've talked about this on the podcast, but my father was a pretty abusive guy. You know him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was he was not great, and he would clear his throat when he was mad. He would never he would never say he was mad. He would just clear his throat, so you mm-hmm. knew. So now, like when my husband clears his throat, just because he has a something in his throat, mm-hmm. I'll I'll like tense up. I'll like get really really on edge, and and I'll be like, "What's going on? Why are you mad?" <clears throat> I really needed to clear my throat. I'm sorry. <laughs> not funny at all <laughs> but i've had funny. that ex- i've had that experience with you where i do yeah. i clear my throat and you kind of look at me like oh crap like what's wrong yeah. what's yeah. wrong yeah yeah so that's i mean that's classical conditioning that's i've associated with that really neutral unassuming trigger with right. something that is that makes me have a certain reaction so but that other thing is not present so let's name it so the so the clearing of the throat before mm-hmm. you were conditioned uh-huh the clearing of the throat would be called the neutral stimulus the neutral stimulus well let's i don't want <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to do the terminology thing with my throat clearing thing okay please. let's so let's go back to the dog <laughs> let's thing. do let's do the dog thing so yeah there's a lot of uh and i i saw different names for them so it's it's a little bit weird so let's start with the unconditioned stimulus and the unconditioned response. Mm-hmm. Now, the unconditioned stimulus, this is either acronymed as UCS or US. I'm going to say UCS, so unconditioned stimulus. So that is the thing that... I'm taking notes, <laughs> I was writing things down. <laughs> oh, my God. Hello. It's master's Hello. classes Welcome. all over. <laughs> Welcome to classical conditioning class. UCS. Unconditioned. Unconditioned. Got it. So that's, in this experiment, it would be the food. So the unconditioned stimulus is a thing that, without any prior training, elicits a response. And the unconditioned response is the salivation. Unconditioned in this sense basically means it's inborn. It happens naturally. It doesn't need any training. So when you're presented with food, you're going to salivate. Mm -hmm. So that is inborn it's not like it anyone needs to tell you to do it you're just going to do it naturally so those are the unconditioned stimulus unconditioned response the unconditioned stimulus is paired with a neutral stimulus which is a thing that has nothing to do with this thing it, it's a thing that is totally irrelevant that should not elicit a response so in this it's the buzzer we'll buzzer buzzer because i don't want to trigger mom <laughs> i was gonna go with bell because that's what my little no! inv- i know that's what my little graphic says no i'm gonna go with buzzer so the buzzer would be the neutral stimulus mm-hmm. so you pair the neutral stimulus buzzer with the unconditioned stimulus food and that makes a response happen because they're both present So then when you take away the unconditioned stimulus and you just have the neutral stimulus, but it still elicits a response, then they become the conditioned stimulus and the conditioned response because you've trained the person or the creature or whatever to have this response in result of a neutral stimulus. Mm -hmm. So then if you just had the bell and the dog salivated, the bell would be the conditioned stimulus and the salivation would be the conditioned response. Her notes are, she's got like a diagram. (laughs) I am very studious. (laughs) Do you think there's going to be a test? What are you doing? Is there a test? I hope not. Yes, welcome to the test. (laughs) My name is Evan Pavlov and I will do tests now. If you were Ivan, I would have a talk with you (laughs) about appropriate behavior toward animals. Yeah, I would never do a thing like that to a dog. Never. 
So one of Pavlov's desires or, or, or something that meant a lot to him, I'm not sure what word to put on that, was that he, he really did believe that psychology per se, was not supposed to just be this mystical, dark, science-y thing. You right. Know, like, well, he, not even... Not science at all. Right, yeah. There are people yeah. who say, like, psychology is like a fake science or whatever right. because there's not experimentation with it. Right. So I think he went too far the other way. Right. He wanted very much, because he was such... One of the, the things that you said in the very beginning of the podcast about how even when he was little, that he thought of himself as being a scientific mind, an investigator, right. or whatever words you use. Research with yeah. the... Um, Instinct for research. There you go. Mm -hmm. So he very much wanted to kind of bring that into psychology and say, it's not just this mysterious thing that, that goes on. We could do experimentations that are more scientific. And that's kind of what he was trying to do was to put the two together. And he did. I mean, this is one of the more... A equals B parts of psychology that I can think off the top of my head. It's very much, you know, in a couple of the podcasts, reference to other podcasts (laughs) out there that are very interesting. Listen to the other ones. Um, Like when we talked about alcohol and there was, uh, when we talked about dreams and stuff, and Anna went very, especially in the one about alcohol, very specifically into the brain, brain parts parts. of the brain. Mm -hmm. He very much wanted us to understand that what is happening with us, as far as psychologically speaking, has to do with our brain and neurologically what's happening there. So I do respect that about him. Yeah, I mean, he, like we said, even with his weird dog stuff, he made huge advancements in the psychology field just because he did put it into a more scientific light. And, I mean, I say that, but there are still people who think psychology isn't in the science field. I don't know where they put it, if not in science, but they they, they don't. They say it's too, you know, out there, too abstract. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they don't say it's science, but... But I've had people who are pretty pretty salty about that, that, that it's not put as a science. I think I agree with you completely that probably the biggest connection that I can see being a counselor is this being involved in trauma issues yeah. and trigger stuff. Which triggers can also be like anxiety right. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's less like A equals B though, like because trauma is more about when you have a trauma trigger, it's more about this thing has happened in association with this thing so right. this other thing has become the trigger so it's it's less about that with anxiety anxiety triggers are more they're less likely to have like a logical reason that they're a trigger for you but i'm thinking like a client who has been physically abused by her husband her husband that wears a certain cologne oh yeah so she has now gotten away from a husband and is now living life quite a while free of abuse everything's going cool mm-hmm. And she's in a store one day and smells that cologne. And smells are one of the biggest senses that connect to memory. So -hmm. if you're someone who struggles with having um, anxiety or panic attacks because of something, you don't know why, you're really having trouble figuring out the reason, pay attention to things that you're smelling when you have it because Mm -hmm. it could be a scent trigger. And we don't usually register scent triggers as Mm -hmm. triggers because we don't really think of scent as extraordinary so we don't we don't focus on it it. right yeah right so it could be something that you're smelling that you don't you don't know about that you aren't paying attention to Mm -hmm. exactly so should we talk about the different kind of i mean there's so much that goes into classical conditioning there's so many different kind of branches from the tree do you want to talk about some of those briefly yeah okay briefly okay 
Because what you and I talked about before the podcast that we could very easily step off of Pavlov and go into Skinner. Right. And we feel that Skinner should be his own podcast. Because yeah. Skinner deserves his own Skinner podcast. Skinner deserves his own. Um, but it's a very short step from yeah. one to the other. Yeah. He, uh, Skinner was the person that did positive and negative reinforcement, which is not classical conditioning. It's a different thing. I believe it's operant, but I might be wrong. But he builds on, I read something that said that Skinner went to, one time went to one of Pavlov's speeches and got a, like basically like an autographed picture kind of thing, like a picture of He was Pavlov. a Pavlov fanboy. <laughs> exactly. He went to a con and he, he's... <laughs> And he, and he had that he was picture like, hanging. Pav- Pavlov. <laughs> hey, Pavlov, can you sign my picture? And he had that picture hanging in his office. He took a photo of you. I don't know about it. you, Anna, but if I had a signed picture of Freud, I'd have that hanging in my office. I could forge his signature on the picture okay. that you already have. <laughs> okay, that'd be good. Oh, I could man. fake it. I imagine Skinner going up and be like, he signed my picture. That's because you... <laughs> he signed my picture. And Ivan's like, this is me in my bedroom. How do you get this picture? Where this picture from? Where do you get this picture? <laughs> How did you upload this picture? <laughs> in 19 not whatever it was. Uploading, not what that is. <laughs> All right, so just briefly give us a... All right. There's a Overview. couple. There's a couple just brief things. Uh, yeah. So like, there's forward conditioning versus backward conditioning. Did you read anything about that? Mm. So, forward conditioning is when you do the neutral stimulus before or with the unconditioned stimulus. So when you do like the I have Bell in my notes buzzer. Thank when you, you do the buzzer before the food. Or like concurrent with the food, it works better than if you do like if you give the dog the food and then do the buzzer. Mm. Like it doesn't take as well. They don't associate it as strongly. our dog. Our dog rings a bell herself. To get food? No, to, to go, go outside. outside. Yeah, dog she knows that if she rings her bell, she'll go outside. Yeah. So there are some dogs in the world that do have bells. Just yeah. so that I'm not like totally discriminating <laughs> against dogs bells. and bells can't even be in the same room. <laughs> Okay, forward versus backwards. Yes. Backwards does not work as well. Mm-hmm. But then types of forward conditioning, there's delay conditioning and trace conditioning, which to me are named backwards. I'll let you decide. Delayed conditioning is when the neutral stimulus is presented at the same time as the unconditioned stimulus. So like you do a 10 second buzzer and during that 10 seconds you give them the treat. That like is totally opposed to delayed. That doesn't make any sense. I know, because then listen to what Trace is. Trace does not overlap. So you do the neutral stimulus, so like, eh, and then you give them the treat. Huh. And then that second in between is called the trace conditioning interval. And the longer that is, the worse the association is. Mm -hmm. So the less they respond to the stimulus. Because the longer it goes, they're they're not going to hook it together. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense, but I agree that it's not named. It's totally backward named. And I looked at like four different things like, maybe Wikipedia just messed up. Yeah. No, no. no. Wikipedia doesn't mess up. (laughs) (laughs) So then there's second order conditioning. This one's going a little farther. This is a bit of a farther branch. So this is when, so first one stimulus is made important. So when you do the bell... Sorry, buzzer. I'm so sorry. I'm coming off of my stool. So you do the buzzer and the food, and then 
it makes saliva, and then eventually the buzzer makes saliva, right? So you have made the buzzer an important stimulus. Right. But then that stimulus is attached to another stimulus. So instead of giving them like buzzer and food, you do like buzzer and light at the same time. And eventually you take away the buzzer, and when you just turn on the light, they'll still salivate because you've made a second stimulus important because it was attached to the first that you had already conditioned. Mm. Yeah. This can branch pretty far. Yeah. And again, like when we talked about trauma, this can happen without someone meaning to do this. Exactly. So our, our triggers and stuff can extend pretty far beyond what we would what we would normally think of. And this kind of goes along with generalization. You know what generalization is? Sort of. <laughs> Give me a general that idea. Things, that things... I can't think of an example, though. It's like you and yeah, I talked about. I it's hard to think of an example. Well... So the the example that I saw, so generalization is when you've conditioned a stimulus to make a conditioned response, but then similar stimuli will start to have the same event happen. Right, so, so not necessarily a buzzer, but maybe a doorbell that kind of sounds like a buzzer. Well, I or different tones of buzzers. Okay. So like if you have like a versus a <laughs> bad noise. <laughs> oh, we met our bad noise quota for the, the episode. Then there's extinction. So wait, I got a oh. generalization. Yes. Like if you were particularly uncomfortable with your grandfather, the way that your grandfather looked. Okay. Okay, physically. Like you saw your grandfather, you got uncomfortable. Okay. So you see another guy that looks like your grandfather. It's not your grandfather. You were actually uncomfortable with your grandfather, but this guy looks like him, and so you're uncomfortable with that guy, even though he's not a person you should be uncomfortable with. Is that generalizing? Mm-hmm. So is projection a form of generalization? Ooh. Or transference even? Because mm-hmm. we're <sighs> experiencing something that is close enough to the stimulus that's causing us problems that we're that's putting the problems onto that. Ooh. This would be like another two shots Whoa. worth of investigation. <laughs> oh, we ran out so of shots. <laughs> okay. Someone send shots. <laughs> okay. So that's generalization. All right. You got it. All right. Extinction. I like that one. Okay. So extinction is the condition stimulus is present repeatedly without the unconditioned stimulus a lot of time. So so basically, if you had already conditioned the dog to salivate when the buzzer happened, and then you just sat there going, "Eh, eh," like a lot, eventually the dog would go, screw you. He's not going to give me food. This guy's not gonna the give dog me food. Would bite your hey, leg I off. think this guy's a dick. <laughs> I'm not gonna salivate for this guy. I'm not gonna do that. Extinction. So, so uh, not getting that. Yeah. So eventually, if you do that enough, that you present that stimulus enough without basically giving them the. I don't want to say reinforcer because that's a different oh, thing. Oh, it's such a fine line, though. Yeah, it, it, it is really such a fine. Is. It it bleeds right over to the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's a different thing. So you because I want to jump off into intermediate reinforcement and continuous reinforcement, but that's a whole that's re- separate yeah, page. Yeah, that's, that's different. Yeah. But it's coming up in a future. <laughs> it is coming up. We will podcast. We will get there eventually. Yep. All right. That's something to look forward to. Mom, I think this is going to be a shorter episode. That's good. It's very That's good. That's good. Do you have anything else you want to add? Do you have other stuff to talk about? Do well, we, I should just, we rip on Pavlov a bit more? <laughs> I think we should forgive Pavlov because he was only living within 
the means of his culture at the time in Russia in the 1800s and early 1900s. Things were different then. If he knew then what we know now, he would not have done the terrible things that he did to dogs. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, that it's not like it makes those things okay, but we are products of our world and our society and if society at large is not recognizing that as a problem then we personally may not recognize it as a problem i don't know i feel like if i was doing that to a dog even if society wasn't going like hey being mean to dogs isn't cool like i would not want to do that to a dog so i I don't know like i i have a hard time separating because i do have such a strong empathy right well for any animals yeah And for people too. And that goes back to what we talked about that unfortunately, very much of our knowledge that we have now, especially medical knowledge, comes from some very questionable ethically Uh things. And so we are not sitting in a place to to say, well, now we're not going to believe any of that stuff because it was based on unethical. We we go forward from here and we hope that we never do the same kind of things. But what I would say positively about Pavlov is that he believed very much that the whole study of psychology can be objective, can be studied objectively. And as we learn more and more about the brain, he had a great desire to learn more and more about the brain. Right. You know, his his desire was to someday be to a point where we really understood the brain. We're not even close yet. Mm-mm. We're not even close. We have so much more to learn about right. the brain. But hopefully going forward, we learn more about the brain much more humanely. Yes. And much more ethically. So how's that? I like it. Is that how we're wrapping it up? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I think I think what well, we should somehow tie it together to the universality of everything. Okay. I wish I could put my hand motions into words. <laughs> the idea She's that waving her arms <laughs> frantically in front of her. Because with every podcast, we kind of go at some point back to the idea of self-awareness. Yeah. That's kind of our shtick. I mean, I think they can go back to the trigger thing that we talked about. Right. I agree. We all have triggers, even if we haven't been through trauma. I know all through my week, I'm looking ahead. I'm thinking Friday's coming. (laughs) Friday is coming. I'm going to be okay because Friday's coming. I get to spend some time with my girl and do the podcast and talk and have a couple of drinks and so, you know, even the thought of a Friday is, right. is kind of a positive thing for me. So we all have something in our life that's like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, those triggers can be positive or negative. Exactly. We, we talked about trauma just because we don't really that's talk what we about see a positive lot. triggers right, right. a lot in therapy. But, but there are positive triggers. I mean, there are things that remind you of happy times and uh, of good things that you can you latch on You smell chocolate chip cookies baking and you think about your mom. And yeah. You, yeah. You know, those are those... Those kind of triggers in your life. I smell box mac and cheese cooking and I think of my mom. (laughs) That's because I love you. (laughs) You made that for Gabe a lot more than you made it for me. So thank you so much for joining us for Freudian Sips. Yes. It's always a joy. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a delight. To share our beverages and our brains and our conversation. Yeah. With all of you. 
So, you can find us so many places online. The main place is FreudianSipsPod.com. That is links to everywhere else you can listen to us and you can follow us like Twitter, or Facebook, Instagram, and that's all by the name Freudian Sips Pod. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com or there's a contact form on the site. And if you like what we're doing, you want to help us with hosting costs and with buzzers, not bells. <laughs> Then you can support us on Patreon, also by the name Freudian Sips Pod. You can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Please remember, if you like what we're doing and you want to make us happy and help other people find us, you can leave a nice rating and review on Stitcher, iTunes, I believe. I don't know if Google Podcasts has a rating system, but if it does, leave us a nice thing. Tell us you like us. Tell us you like us, please. It it helps us get through the week. <laughs> so Positive self-esteem. Thank you so yes. much. Exactly. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Oh.